Hi, everybody, and thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Faithfully Her. I am your girl, Liana Michelle, and today I have a very special guest. Y'all know all my guests are special. <laughs> so I have another beautiful and amazing woman on with us today. We have Malika Williams, who is the founder of a nonprofit organization called Live Outreach, L-I-V-E, which has been featured in the Detroit Free Press, as well as Black Detroit Magazine. Malika is a self-published author of the autobiography, I'm Just Trying to Live. And she was recently voted to the Board of Directors of Literacy League in Chicago, Illinois. Our sister is doing major things out here. So everybody, please help me welcome Miss Malika Williams. Hi. Thank you for having me on. Oh, no problem. Again, thank you so much for coming on and speaking with us today. And everybody, isn't she beautiful? Yay, beautiful <laughs> woman right here that's sitting in front of us. Um, I want to get started, if you don't mind, with the of book. Of course. Because your book is telling your journey through the foster care system. So I want to kind of start there with um, your inspiration behind the book, your journey, and how you got to where you are right now. Um, what inspired the book, actually, um, I've been wanting to write my story. I think, you know, getting to the nitty gritty of your life sometimes and some of the most embarrassing parts of your life, some of the things that are not so happy is not something that you want to tell people about. But, you know, it was so important for me to let people know that, you know, it's not about how your life starts off or the things that you have no control over. It's about the things that you have control over and things that you want to accomplish and do. And so um, I think it's really powerful for a person to take that negative and try to, you know, encourage other people off their own personal experience, just because, you know, having those embarrassing moments and things, you know, to reflect on, but their life life lessons these are things that people go through on a daily day basis I'm not the only person that experienced it I'm not going to be the last person to experience it but giving that next person you know that encouragement or that push is really what inspired me or motivated me to want to let other people know about my story and really just put myself out there so people could understand that I was vulnerable a lot during this whole transition of writing this book because it was a lot of things that as an adult I've put to the side or I've ignored or I've um, allowed myself to kind of like forget about but um, in the process of writing this book it has been a transition of tears and laughs and you know you know sad times and happy times and a little bit more sad than 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 happy but I'm grateful more for those sad times to reflect on how it has structured structured me as a person even in a good and even in a bad way because I'm you know coming from where I come you know statistic wise is always the negative numbers and is always the negative things so always being able to uh be that person and say well that wasn't how it ended for me you know allows someone else to understand that it's not the end unless you say it is Right. Now, for a minute, I did work in, I was a case manager in the foster care system. Um, so I got to kind of work with 
those children, those parents. And it was a difficult job. I'm not going to even lie to you. Like at first I went into it with all of these great aspirations. I was feeling good about it because I was going to be giving back and looking out for the kids. And then when the parents come into play, it's like, whoa, I didn't sign up for that. You know what I'm saying? So at what age did you enter into the system? So I was 14. So I was of age to be able to identify um, you know, certain things and energies and, and, and different, uh, you know, when you want, you know, kids are, you know, know when they want it or when somebody's really trying to be malicious or somebody's trying to help. Um, but of course, that is actually a really trying age for any person because you're at an age where you're coming out of the kind of childish maturity age because you're like a teenager now so your body is changing you know how you're thinking how you're feeling is changing you know you're more opinionated you more you know think that you know more than what you really need think that you know so uh it was really difficult too because in that age a lot of that age demographic have a hard time with placement because you know a lot of times people want younger children they want kids that are more manageable as far as personality wise um because at that age you know when you get into a teenager age at some point you're kind of becoming a whole who you will be or you know what your belief sometimes is and you know of course we change but it's not like large changes so you know you kind of you know uh, know what you're kind of dealing with so when you add trauma and and disappointment and everything else on top of that is like you know a lot of times it's really hard to place these type of kids and that was a really big huge part of um, the organization being found as well because I think that it's not identified often about the trauma especially in the urban community with African-American kids you know we kind of are always fending for ourselves, no matter what the situation is, whether we're in a single family home, whether we're growing up in a project, whether we, no matter what our circumstance, foster care, no matter what it is, the kids, it's not enough resources for them, so. Right, I just saw something online that said that um, African-American children tend to, are pushed to grow up faster than our counterparts because of those things, like for me, Um, I was raised in a single parent home, so I had to learn quick as far as cutting grass, cleaning the house, cooking a meal, Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like those womanly type duties I had to, I was doing like at 10, 11 years old, I was, I, I was doing those things. So I had to mature a lot faster than most people. Um, and I could just imagine in the system, you know, and you're being bounced around and you don't know who to trust that does make you put your guard up a lot more. Um, Going through that time, was there ever ever a connection with the family where you felt safe? Um, I do have one foster mother that I am still well connected with. Um, Actually, she's a board member for the Live Outreach. Um, And she has been a very big advocate of pushing me along to make sure that, you know, me pushing towards that goal to get that out has been, and, you know, and then she knows from the flip side of a, as a foster parent, because, you know, a lot of times we're not thinking about what the foster parents sometimes, especially the ones that really want to make a difference, how 
they're affected by you know getting this kid and then you're hearing some of the traumas it's like it's traumatizing you because you're like oh my god I didn't know it was that bad I didn't know it was that many kids I didn't, you know and I kind of think that's where she kind of got pulled in because she got foster kids that's older than me that's still like hey mom what's going on mom you know like you know acknowledge me as a sister and you know things like that and and you know people are well off into having their own children and grandchildren at this point in their life. So she definitely been effective as far as being a positive influence in that. And I thought that was really good to want to have that, to be something that grow on how I manage moving forward with, with I wanted to do with the mission that was placed upon my heart. Um, but that has been the only experience that I've had where I felt that it was genuine and it wasn't no, ill intent not necessarily saying it that was the case for the other few foster homes that I was in but it wasn't as genuine and as you know how you know kids and you know animals at times can kind of feel and filter out like you know good people and you know hey I like the vibe the energy in the room and what's going on here so um Veronica is her name actually was like definitely one of the foster mothers that was always kind of like hey you know how can I be of assistance or you know help you further along the way as much as I can with the resources and tools that I have and I was always thankful for that and even as an adult you know she could say hey you know you're not my biological kid or you know I have no real substance to maintain this relationship but she does with not only me but uh, quite a few other foster children as well. Well, let's give Veronica a round of applause um, because, <laughs> you know, even as a case manager from the case manager side, when you're looking for a good foster home for children, you know, people can show up and they can give you the best interview and they can present themselves on paper as the greatest people. And then you know, a few months down the line, when you're doing your home visits, you realize like, oh, they're in it for the money or, you know, um, they're, they, yeah, they're feeding the kids, but it's such a restricted diet and a restricted schedule. It's not like I can be a child and just say, oh, I want a Capri Sun and I could go in the refrigerator and get one without being reprimanded or yelled at because you're drinking up all the Capri Suns, you know, so even when we're doing those interviews with the children and we're asking them, it's like you have to pick up on those context clues to see how what is the body language when they're responding to these questions and they're having these conversations to you. And if you're not a good case manager and you're just here to fulfill that quota to say, okay, I showed up, then you miss out on those signs and then you fail helping that child. And so that's where I feel like the passion comes in at. And, and sometimes like where something that was once a passion becomes repetitive to a point where that is a switch off. So I, I mean that to say, um, when I, I and, and the thing is that when, when they have these individuals become foster parents, what kind of resources and support that they are providing them to be able to provide a healthy environment or situation for these children because one we still have to be um to identify that these people are still human people so that means they still have you know significant others they still have maybe other children they may still have uh you know uh 
a, a, a place of business that they work at or an organization or something that they take care of. So they still have their everyday life to life that they still have to resolve on top of being a foster parent. So that's like a bonus plus. You get what I'm saying? That's kind of like, hey, I volunteer, but that's an add on to the million of things other else going on in my life. So given having those resources, I think is really fundamental and, and something that I would really love to get really deep in with some of those agencies when they connect these kids with these parents, because a lot of times once you're with those parents and those, you know, they connect those kids, it's like, okay, boom, we got that finished on to the next kid. And so those resources that need to be maybe that counseling or somebody helping them allow them to get through that transition is not the the need of it is high, but the 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 help of it is not because right. the manpower of it is not. Maybe right. it's not in a budget, whatever it is, but that's to me just from a foster care standpoint and even being an adult now, I think that's the, the significant breakdown of it because people do go into it passionately thinking, hey, they want to help a kid. But after some time, it might be a disconnect. It might have been a kid that you were really connected to that you were possibly thinking about adopting. But at the last minute, you know, they went home and things like that. Those things are traumatic and, and, and things like that to the adult that's involved in it. And I think a lot of times people are not conscious of that either. You know what I'm saying? And so that's why I think it's important to have that support on both sides for the foster child and also for the foster parent, not to just assume because they want to be foster parents, they have it all together to be able to deal with the child that has these different types of traumas. So it's a transition from every for, for everyone. So yeah. it's unfortunate because you, you know, it could be a different system as far as how it's, how it's well connected, but the need is so big and it's so, it's almost like the criminal system. Yeah, yeah. And I could just know for me from the case manager point of view, um, never turning my phone off was a situation for me to where if that kiddo called me at 3 a.m. and was like, hey, I don't want to be here anymore. I ran away or whatever it is then my mother would say, Michelle, at some point you have to turn your phone off. And I'm like, I can't because I never know when a kid is going to call. You know what I'm saying? So I was so I was over invested to where it, it started to burn me out from the case manager side of it. Yeah. And, and most definitely anything that you're passionate about, you want to change the world. It's like you want to be Superman. You want to be Ken Clark. Um, but realistically, you're only one person. And so you can only change what you have control over. So you want to make a huge difference and you want those that uh, life you are in to be affected positively and, you know, your decision making and how you assist them. But, you know, at some point you still have to consider yourself, your health, your self-care, all of those things are always number one, because if you're no good to yourself, you're no good to no one else. You can't help anyone else. Yeah. And so. You know, at some point, that's just like you you can have somebody and everybody knows someone that is at a point where they are had a potential. You see the potential in them. You know, you pushing them towards that potential, but they don't see the potential in themselves. It's just something that at this point, it took a lot out of you to get them to that point And they're still not there. You know, you have to applaud yourself to say, hey, I did what I could. You know, I took him to where I had to or took her to where, I, you know, and that's where I'm at with it. And I'm OK with it. And 
being comfortable with that. And of course that takes time and that takes a lot of disappointment and a lot of like helping and you seeing that it wasn't effective. So I've had people that I've genuinely helped that has said negative things about me that was like, you know, hearing about it. I know that it came from them, but but then it's like, all I ever tried to do is help them. It was so appalling. But at the same time, I couldn't put a lot of energy into it because it made me understand that's why they have such a hard time in their lives. Right. Because I've literally um, been in court because, you know, the foster care case managers have to testify and you know, say, well, yes, this parent has been going to parenting classes. This parent has found secured a job and a place to live and so forth. And I could just remember I had one particular case and um, these people got in court and called me every racial slur they could think of because they were not living up to what they were supposed to be doing as the parent. And because I went to court and spoke honestly and reported like I haven't been able to confirm income I haven't been able to confirm residency uh, you know they they come to the to the um the supervised visitations and they are disheveled they're intoxicated they're this you know I'm reporting the truth of what is is being right. presented and I could just remember that day in court like they called me every racial slur under the sun and I couldn't take it personal. I couldn't get upset because they're coming from a place of anger and, and disappointment. To and it's not nothing personal. I'm doing right, what I right. need to do. It wasn't personally against me. It's the disappointment that they have in themselves, but they're right. projecting it onto me. You know what right. I'm saying? So it's just knowing how to have that balance. So I will say to, to my case managers out there, we can't take these things personal, but you have to do your job to the best of your ability you have to you know and, and hold those parents to that letter because my thing was I didn't put your children in that position you did right and I didn't walk in the room and take your kids from you that was the law I'm just here to try to make sure that this child from this point on is safe that they're in a secure situation that they're being properly maintained and cared for until you are able to do it for yourself. And right. I'm here to help you. I'm here to provide you with the resources. I'm here to listen to you. Like they will leave me death threats on my cell phone to the wow. point where we literally, I literally have to file police reports. We have to have police um, available to us for their supervision just because of all of the threats that were going on towards me as the case manager. So, you know, there's always those different sides and different perspectives to the same situation. Right. That is correct. Well, you know what? I never thought of it like that, but you know, that you, you know, people in that in those positions put their selves in risk a lot of times because people are, you know, they're emotional. It's an emotional thing. Kids being taken from their parents is emotional. Whether it's a right situation or wrong, you know, people doesn't mean that they don't love their kids. They're just not in the capacity to be able to give them the things that they need, you know, so it is a very difficult situation and yeah. uh, you know telling somebody they need help or you know your life ain't what it is you know is a reality check too that creates anger too because hey you know you need to go to rehab it's something that's like ah uh, you know if you're not ready to accept that there's gonna be something that's gonna be a fight because that's you're right. not willing to accept that so right. i can understand how that can be very dangerous and it can escalate to something that is where it can be dangerous 
Yeah. So um, I don't want to, you know, have you go too or further than you want to go. But right now, um, for for whatever caused you to go into the system, has there been a forgiveness for that? Is there contact with your biological parents? Like, where are you in your life with that part of your situation? It took a long, very, very, very long time. So my parents are, uh, my father is deceased and he passed in 2015 and my mother is, is still alive. I've always had pretty much a relationship with my parents because my parents actually were, you know, up in, in my life until then. It was a lot of, um, you know, drug abuse and, you know, violence and a lot of different things that was not appropriate for a kid at that time. And I was always one of those type of people that was boisterous. And, you know, if I felt like something wasn't right or, you know, you know, and it was, it was physical, you know, too, like abuse, as far as like, it was something that I felt like me being a parent now, it was some things that could have just been a conversation instead of a punishment. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the punishments were, you know, extensive and, you know, things that were like really abusive. And so it, it was from more of a violent standpoint. You get what I'm saying? I grew up in a violent household and like growing up on the east side of Detroit, you know, you see a lot of things and I've seen a lot of things and this became like a normal thing. And so I couldn't, after I got to a certain age, I really couldn't be mad at my parents because they were only displaying some of the behaviors and and things that they only knew, just like by versa me having kids and I'm spruing out some of the same characteristics and things. And so this is how these generational curses are constantly being passed on because they're not identified and it's learned behavior. And so the learned behavior becomes something that's normal. Right. Because we think that is normal because we're trained to think that's, that is normal. That's just like religion or anything else. So anytime anybody speaks against something or goes against something that we really think is the normal thing, it's kind of like you're identified as a, you know, an outsider or a traitor right. or a person that's causing chaos. But really, you're just having a different opinion. And so I think with society altogether, if you're a person that has a different opinion than what the majority has, you're going to already have a problem. Right. And so that's why it's so much easier to be a follower than a leader, because if you you go behind, well, oh, well yeah, we, we doing this now, you know, this the trend now, so we going yeah. behind that. But if you're the person like, hey, I'm not, that's not too cool. I'm not kosher with that. That's not, it's going to always be a problem. So I've always been that person that's like willing to take that stand for that and so you know it makes you think about those challenges like even with martin luther king or malcolm x and just kind of like that was a big thing to do to know that you jeopardize and actually losing your life to stand for something that you just ultimately just this is just what i believe in now everybody else can say they okay with it going like that but i just really don't and so it just i think about that just overall with the world and just you say the wrong thing, you do the wrong thing, you could be the most liked person, but then nobody likes you no more. You know, just because you, you got something that's against what everybody else says. I just have an opinion. That's it. Doesn't mean the world gonna change because I have an opinion. I'm just having that. So <laughs> I just always have to mention that, that how is the world is just so different than what I'm used to. But, you know, I, I have a better relationship now with my mother. 
And um, before my father passed, we did have some uncomfortable conversations because I've always been a daddy's girl. Um, I feel like even when I told him I wanted to go into nonprofit and I wanted to do the live outreach, you know, he was really encouraging that, even though it might have been, you know, something that, you know, identified that he might have not been the most, you know, highlighted some things that was a negative in his on him being a parent, but he still was encouraging of that so I was thankful for that you know um during up towards the because Liv was founded in 2014 and he passed in 2015 so it had only been like shy of a year that it was you know up and going but I remember him giving me a call and telling me about a lady that was in a community that was doing vocational education and he wanted me to connect with her because you know I wanted to help the youth and she was that was the demographic that she was into and so you know, I was just thankful for that. I'm always appreciative of that. And that definitely always keep me motivated to want to keep going with the vision. And I think a lot of times people think that, you know, because it highlights negative parts of you, you know, you feel bad about it. But it's, you know, it just lets you know that it makes you stronger. You're able to conquer it. You're able to go through it. And I mean, you know, it's a different day. It's a whole new year. These things that has happened to me has been, you know, over 20 years old. So at some point in my life, it's been so many other things that then transpired that that has to be a point in my life that I have to, you know, vaguely start to allow to let go if I want to, you know, have other things to hold on to that's more productive. And so we are in control of what energy we hold on to. So I had to let that energy go. And I think I held on that energy long enough as far as like the negative and how my parents, I would have loved to have the Huxtable lifestyle and a Huxtable, like we all would want that, you know, family household and that structure. And maybe in another lifetime I will, but you know, it, this is not the story. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, what? Now that I- no, I'm sorry. I was just, I just wanted to say, first of all, uh, condolences on, on your father's passing and, you know, my respect and, and love and hugs to you for that even though it's been a few years my mother passed in 2016 and although you learn to live with it the pain of the, the, them leaving you is still sits there so my condolences to you for that but I also want to just commend you for finding the purpose within your pain because a lot of us don't know how to do that we don't know how to to, like you said, learn to let those things go, learn to to address the trauma. I always say it's important to address it. You know, the more we, we shove it under the rug, it only piles up. That rug continues to get higher. The more stuff you sit under that rug, that rug gets higher. And then you're tripping over that rug with all of that stuff under it. So we have to clean out the, the things that we shove under the rug. We have to face it so we right. can move past it. You right. know, um, we have to address that whatever that pain or that hurt is that those situations cause. We have to address it and right. be able so we can move past it and move forward. And as you said, begin to hold on to those positive things and those things that are going to make a significant difference and change in our lives for the better. So I commend you for that, my sister, because <laughs> not everybody can do that and not everybody can even recognize that they have that pain sitting there because they don't want to acknowledge it because they don't want to address it. So See, I think what it is is too that, you know, it's always a process. Like, you know, you know, pain is something that, 
you know, never really goes away. That's just like, you know, some, you know, you, you get cut and even though it might turn into a scab and a heel, it still might always have that scar there. And so it's always a reminder that, Hey, you know, I got cut there or I got, it's always a reminder there. So it's kind of like, it never really goes away. It's always a process, you know, it's always a process. And so I think people think that the world is like, you know, you do this and you have these different affirmations or you talk this positive stuff and then like life is just so great and everything is just going to be so great in your life. But it's an everyday practice of behavior. It's an everyday response of behavior. It's an everyday, you know, so it's it's an everyday decision to make that decision to say this is the type of day that I'm going to have. Um, but it took a very long time for me to get there. And um it's like I said, it's an everyday process for me. So, you know, I could be, you know, today is a great day, but tomorrow is a really struggling day for me to get through. It, it all depends. But ultimately, it goes back to me pushing myself to say, hey, am I going to let this be a good day for myself? Or am I allowed, you know, me going outside and seeing I got a flat tire ruin my whole entire day or, you know, me getting a write up at work or, you know, depending on whatever it is, you know, just all those different things that comes into your life, that's a daily life thing. Um, how you respond to it has a big part of how the rest of the day gonna go. So um, it's, it's always a, a forever thing. It's almost like a person with coming out of like, same thing with addiction. They say one day at a time. That's just how life is one Dealing day at a time. One day at a time. Yeah. And something you said earlier when you were saying um, about the book and you were saying, how talking about those things, you know, sometimes we feel like there's a shame to it. You know, we carry on the stigma of our trauma and we don't want to talk about it because we feel ashamed. We don't want to ashamed the, the person who may have inflicted the pain on us because it might be a family member or something like that. So we hold all of that in. So how liberating was that for you to just be able to tell your truth get that stigma and the shame off of your shoulders? Or did you ever carry shame from being in the foster care system or going through what you went through? I think, um, no, cause honestly, I've just always been the type of person that really never was big on like trend or what people say. Just, I just, even in high school, I never really cared about being like popular or, like things that most people I think care always cared about. Like I, I've been a person I've never watched Power. I never watched like a lot of them. Show, I don't know. I've never been into like what everybody be like. Oh yeah, and that's the new thing. And I can stroll past that all day and see that all day and still don't be intrigued to see what it is that everybody's talking about. Like I just, you know, it's just I don't know. It's just always been like that with me ever since I can remember. And I think that comes with really kind of trying to identify, you know, you know, what, what, what's important to you? Uh, yeah. What, what is the, you know, identifying what's important to you. And I think I, I it, it's just been <clears throat> such a journey with when you come from, you know, my father had, you know, he was had battled with drug addiction and, you know, and, and the thing is, that's so crazy is like he was like this really smart guy, you know, it was like, you know, all the potential that you could think and see that you could see an individual. And this is this one thing that kept him from being able to get to that full potential. So um, the way that life 
shows you, you know, various things, you got to be able to identify what, what works for you. Right. Um, and, and what makes you happy and um, what puts you in a position to feel empowered. And I think that um, one of the biggest things I would say that was like, kind of like opening to like, even my siblings that might've not knew, like, you know, I've had, a, I speak about, you know, my experience with having an abortion and, you know, the different things that I had to uh, go through during that time that, you know, a lot of people didn't know about that. You know, this was like kind of a private moment or a thing that I went through that people wouldn't have never knew that I went through that, but it was traumatic for me that I didn't have that support and that I couldn't open up to say this because I feel like, you know, you have every right to, to make these type of decisions, but, you know, in our community is certain things like molestation, you know, uh, you know, teen pregnancy, you know, just different things that you know that in our community is not really talked about, is not communicated like it needs to be, and it's not addressed like it needs to be. And right. so we kind of live in dysfunction with uh, talking about it and bringing it up. You know, it's kind of like realistically at those times in my life, I was not in a position to be nobody's mother, you know, okay. but then a person to ridicule you for making these type of decisions. And so you should feel ashamed that you're this young and you're in this position to begin with. But so many people experience making this decision every day. Right. So, you know, um, I think it's important to kind of, you know, get that out there because it's, it's nothing to be ashamed of because it's somewhere, somebody somewhere in the world that is experiencing that or feel those feelings or have had that experience or something. And that's what people don't understand. Like the world is not perfect. Nobody is perfect. And so being okay with your flaws, being okay with knowing that you might not make the best decisions, being okay with just knowing that you are human and you're doing the best that you can is, is like the best thing that you can do for yourself. And I can identify with that. I was adopted. Okay. My mother adopted me when I was four weeks old. Um, and I didn't learn that I was adopted until I was like 10, 11-ish. Um, so I was like really young. And it wasn't something that my mother told me. I overheard mm. from people talking. And that's how it came out. And then I went to my mom and asked her. And she was kind of forced into telling me that. Um, but speaking of, you know, I, I can remember being young, um, looking for, looking for a security. I had been raped by a family member and it disconnected me from this family. And it made me feel like nobody was there for me because they protected my rapist. It was, oh, he's blood. She's not you know, type of a thing. And everybody was on his bandwagon. Everybody was like team him. And looking at me like, well, she was the bad one or she was the one that may have initiated it or whatever it was, whatever their thoughts were, the blame was placed on me. And I was the one that was looked at in the negative light, whereas he was celebrated. Which I still don't quite understand. And that's what I mean by the dysfunction. And that's what I mean by the dysfunction is made into a normalcy. So we all know because I'm pretty sure you're not his first victim. You're not the first person that might have had some type of experience with him that has been inappropriate. And so the thing is, it's just more makes them. I feel like from a standpoint, 
oh, well, it's not as bad because she's really not a family member because she's really not blood. But at the end of the day, it's wrong. If it's wrong, it's wrong. It's just like killing a homeless person just because they're homeless on the street, sleeping on the street. Don't mean they they like, does it matter? Yeah, like, that's what I'm saying. And so these things are placed into, I feel like in our community, we try to protect these people, but no, that needs to be addressed. That needs to be something that we make as something that we voice that no, we will no longer tolerate, uh, you know, an uncle or a cousin or somebody having these type of illness because that has to definitely be some type of mental illness that you have some type of urge or some type of sexual desire to do some type of harmful to someone that is extremely younger or someone that's in a family member. Let's address these things that this is something that needs to be addressed as far as a mental issue or whatever we need to, but it definitely needs to be addressed. And that happens so much. It's so disappointing because I hear it happen so often. It is more often than not. Yeah. And so it's so disappointing because you know, you hear about those moms that didn't believe the daughter, you know, because, you know, right. you you know, you hear about those grandmothers that didn't believe the grandchild and just, you know, just, you know, couldn't have been my son. It couldn't have been, you know, it just, yeah, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. At, at some point, you know, those little, those people that take stands in those situations, you know, to me are always heroes in my eyes. Yeah, it takes a lot, like I said, to stand up against something that is so heinous like that, but so well um, organized to be accepted to be okay. Right, right. And you know, that always be a bother me. Like, why is he celebrated? You know what I'm saying? Like, why are they going over aboard to protect him and to, to keep him in society? And then I even like a, a little bit after that, um, two female cousins you know they even joked about it like oh she was just weak because when he tried it with us we were able to fight him off so she's the weak one and it's like why do I have to be the weak one you know what I'm saying like anyway that's a whole nother therapy session girl But you have to pray for those type of people. You have to pray for those people that think, like I said, you see how all everybody thinks it's normal, that yeah. it's okay that you would fight your, physically have to fight your uncle off from sexually assaulting you. It's nothing that comes that rings a bell that that's a little abnormal, lets you know where their mental is at. So the thing is, sometimes you're not going to fit in. You're not going to be the what people think you're going to look like with your voice. You're not going to be, you know how people say, well, I thought you were going to be different or you was going to look different or you was going to sound different than what you looked like on the phone. And, you know, I'm not going to always be everybody's cup of tea. And that's the thing with being comfortable with yourself. You just got to understand everybody's not going to like you. Everybody's not going to respect your opinion. Everybody not, it just, that's just what it is. You are who you are, but it's no other individual like you and so standing in and that alone is what allows you to be unique and uh, you're going to have people that have similar views of you and you're going to be able to connect with them and that's kind of like how life is it's some girlfriends you know they got their life is structured like yours and y'all able to communicate and then you got the different girlfriends that their lifestyles and things with them structured to your lifestyle in certain settings and certain fitting fittings of your life not yeah. an everyday, not an everyday thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you got your homegirls. Hey, yeah, girl, I catch you the Fourth of July. That might be, but then you got your everyday, or you know, once a month, or and so yeah. being able to identify that 
you are imperfect, but you are perfect just the way you are. And identifying things that you want to do better because we always can be better. Hey, I can work on my attitude. I can respond different. I can do identifying those things because, you know, those take time. And like I said, it's a behavior of an everyday decision making. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, just identifying them things. Nobody is perfect, but being okay with, you know, hey, you know, at this time, you know, we we connected, but we're not connected no more. And so now it's time for me to to restruct how I'm moving forward. And it's okay with that. And it took a lot too, like for me to understand that because family is a big thing with people with connecting because people think just because you're, you know, family, you got to stay connected with a person because you're family or you got to accept certain things that they say and do to you because this is your family. And so it's kind of like you're, you're, you got to do it because this is your family. So they can talk to you any kind of way they can disrespect you or make you feel like, just like you were saying about, Oh yeah, this, you got to feel like that just because these are people that you choose that of who you want to be connected to relative or not. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Because it's just the title. I have people that are, I might have just met five years ago that's more closer to me than people that I've known all my life. And yeah. so as your life adjusts and different things, your priorities change and things are different in your life. Some people, life stays the same. You know, mm-hmm. some some priorities stay the same for some people. Yeah. Where, you know, I'm thinking you're going to adjust with me, but you can't adjust with me because you still stuck on being right here. And that's what I had to learn. That was one of the hardest things of learning is that everybody not good at adjusting and everybody is not going to adjust. Yeah. And then and you do have to leave some people behind, you know, as, as you grow in your life and you start noticing that your path is going in a different direction. You have to leave those people who are not growing in that direction and it's not that you don't have love for him anymore it's just like hey we're just going in two different directions i have to go my way you know and that and that has to be okay also um i want to get a little bit into the outreach so tell us about the outreach program the design the function the purpose okay so the live outreach um was the uh Founded in 2014, and it is the demographic we normally go for or we look for is teen girls that are transitioning from, you know, from foster care to independent living. So pretty much providing them with essential life skills so they are successful, productive adults. So pretty much, you know, financial literacy, you know, maybe vocational or maybe college tours, just basically getting them to the next step because I pretty much designed this program for the younger version of myself so what I felt like would have been a significant boost for myself in that particular time in my life and at that time at 16 or 17 years old I was somebody's mother so my structure of me really securing you know a stable job or maybe you know trying to further my education even if I were getting a certificate or some type of vocational education I wasn't getting that resource from that so I ended up, you got to read the book, but I did end up getting into some trouble. So I graduated high school and literally in June and by the time I was, by the time August came, I was incarcerated. Oh, wow. So I didn't get to go to college and, you know, all of those things that a lot of my peers were able to go off and at least experience, whether they finished or not, I wasn't able to experience that. But of course, once I got home, you know, I was in a position where I had a young child and I really needed to get myself together. So I kind of 
got off in, into, you know, you know, able to find different opportunities or get a promotion and different things like that. But it was really challenging for me to get established and move forward with uh, coming home because I basically was let go from the system. They pretty much said, okay, now you're in trouble. Let the criminal system deal with you. Yeah. And once the criminal system was pretty much done with me, they pretty much released me, but they didn't leave me with no resources. So I'm pretty much relying on whatever resources I can come up with. And, you know, and it, it, I think that was so unfortunate because I feel like still, I, you know, if anything, I deserve to try and chance after that, you know, and it was kind of like at that point, I don't know if I was read off like, hey, you know, seems like we see where she's going, you know. Yeah. And so automatically you're statistically put in this pool. You know, I already had a baby. I'd already been in trouble. So you are already like statistically halfway there where they expect for you to be, you know, in right. that realm of young women anyway. And so being incarcerated definitely by me being 17 years old and being in there with grown women and they were in there for really murder and carjacking and armed robbery, like real serious, severe crimes. And some of them were repeat offenders. This wasn't their first go around. It was very eye-opening, but it was still sad that they had placed me in this and 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 not, you know, tried to provide me no resources. So it was kind of like, didn't nobody care I was 17. It was just, hey, we think you capable of being able to understand you was wrong with what you did. And now, you know, it, it was just the way that everything is. It's just so sad because, of course, everybody individually situations is not looked upon like that because there's a million of them you know how many cases go in front of a judge like you know she can't individually put forth to say oh let's really care about this one when I got you know 60 other cases I got to get done by three o'clock and it's 12 you know so um, I think it's important to have these type of programs and people that's passionate about it regulating the run of these programs because they can can really um, provide insight on that on that aspect because they live it right now is there any counseling I know you said you know there might be vocational services self um, independent living type services but do you also provide like trauma recovery or therapy type sessions or services as well uh, yes yeah, so ultimately my ultimate goal to answer that we do so right now we have um, Tia is a really good um, yoga instructor and she deals with a lot of mental health, meditation, things like that. She's phenomenal at what she does. We have, you know, we do a lot of um, things with her and her program and what she does. But ultimately Liv's goal is to um, provide housing. So this will be something that we will provide in a housing, which will be like a transitional housing as far as to the next step. So if they're wanting to go to college or they're trying to get their own place, but just kind of like that semi-independent independent living process to allow them to feel like, you know, this is the, you know, if you want to fly out the tree like a bird, you know, you got this nest at this time until you feel like you got the resources and the capability to go out there and do that. So um, most definitely, I think it's extremely important to get that counseling in get that peer-to-peer -peer sessions. That's another thing that Liv is really big on. I think it's 
extremely important for peers to connect with other peers, maybe potential uh, older foster kids, kids that has been through that system that now is in college or are, has graduated college and has got their own place or in a career to come back and have that connection to be able to say, hey, I was you before I identified and that wasn't that long ago. You know what I'm right. saying? So I think that type of uh, counseling is essential as well with the growth of the, uh, the young ladies as well. Um, well, I definitely um, want to offer you my services. I am a behavioral therapist and I'll be testing next month to become board certified. Okay. So I'll be more than happy to volunteer some time and do coaching sessions, group sessions or anything like that to kind of help because I really appreciate what you're doing because I could have been in that system. You know, um, I was fortunate to have Hazel adopt me at four weeks old, but I could have easily been bounced around in a foster care system or, you know, however it goes, because my biological mother had her issues with drugs and I don't even know who my biological father is. So um, it could have easily been me, which is why I've always had a, a passion for helping children to for doing my part to help a child grow and learn and prosper because I recognize it could have been me right. and um so that publicly statement I'm offering my services <laughs> so I can't back down okay <laughs> um, so whenever you need me you let me know and we would definitely work that out um to go further into um what what you're doing are do, right now are you operating out of a building is there a place where people can come to for the to get you know these resources or help so typically we do a diva program and we typically always typically operate out of someone else's facility okay. of course we don't have at this moment the manpower or the funding like we would like to be able to function um fully daily um, but um, normally the library is a really good resource and we also connect with some other um, organizations that are open to allowing us to utilize the space. And so we, we might connect, you know, once or twice a week there. And then depending on the resource um, that is needed, because sometimes a lot of times I get connected with people that special specialize more into what that particular person might need so I like being that resource to say hey I don't offer it but I definitely know someone or another organization that will be able to so I, I do get a lot of those but we don't have a physical location so okay. like right now we're doing the one item challenge and the one item challenge we collect a lot of toiletry items and then we donate these toiletry items normally to a larger organization like Covenant House or Alternative for Girls or maybe Vista Maria. These are places that we've donated to in the past. But this year we're trying to connect with maybe a Detroit public school or even maybe a charter school that is in a range of middle to high school where we can um, provide these baskets and uh, of course explain to them about our organization and our, our summer mentoring program that we will be hosting this year. So we're trying to get a school home maybe that we can utilize their space and things like that. It's in the works, nothing official right now, but um, 
that's what our hope is for, you know, because okay. I think we want to be effective without, of course, everybody, any business ask black, you want to be as most as effective with less cost, of course, right? Yeah. So um <clears throat> since ultimately we want to get a facility almost like maybe a multi-home where we could kind of facilitate it and provide it to be like a housing. Type of, nothing too big though, nothing too crazy. Even maybe a four-family flat or a very small yeah. apartment building. And you know, in the city of Detroit, there's a lot of abandoned potential places like that. And so, yeah. just building the you know the structure of it, we got a really good board this year. So I'm hoping that we're moving forward by the end of the year. Live will have a physical location that we're looking to at least rehab. Because um, okay. we want to keep it in the city. I'm a, you know, born and raised in the city. So I think it's really good to kind of have these resources and, and be that story and that voice for that particular de demographic to let them know like, hey, you know, we all are in this together. Because what I've learned too is, it's not just foster kids. There's a lot of kids that's in these homes that's not in foster. They experience abuse and, and, and a lot of things too that is not talked about. They just not in foster care. They just, right. you know, and so I get a lot of that too. Like, you know, once I get, you know, moving around, you know, it's always somebody, hey, I got a single family, you know, mom, you know, she's struggling, she's having a hard time and, you know, they just want to get their kids the best. And then you got, you know, sometimes these kids, you feel like, hey, maybe I do need to get child protective service or someone involved because the circumstance is a little bit extreme. And so with every case or every situation, you have to kind of be, um, put in a position to have those resources say hey what can I do or where do I go or what's what's the best option yeah I'm gonna um you know later when we talk and text or whatever I'm gonna send you some info uh the information for Miss Miracle No Red she has a, a building over on the east side um building beyond barriers and they do like trauma recovery and stuff like that. And I know a lot, like right now they're doing more Zoom stuff because of the COVID, but I do believe she does have a building space. So maybe that could be just the space for you temporarily as well until you get, you know, your, your building and everything found and financed or however it goes. So, you know, that's why I love doing this because you meet so many people and you're like, oh my God, I can connect you or I can provide a resource for you as an additional resource to help out as well. Then you just never know, you know, maybe it'll work out, maybe it won't, but at least it's there and it's available for you um, to at least explore. So um, let's dig into the literacy program that you're a part of in Chicago. So how did you come about being a part of that? And what exactly does the program offer? So this program, um, the youth and in care foster care director um, on their board for uh, this program in Chicago, how it came about is a, a gentleman was on a group that I was in on social media and he was asking for people that were previous authors or people that maybe had a book or two that they had published to kind of mentor um, youth in Chicago. And so what they offer is um, helping youth publish their own um, books. So, you know, say you go in and you're mentoring somebody and they want to do a book on, you know, sports and their outlook on sports. And so basically you would be the person that would be the 
the beginning to the end mentor with helping them complete that book, you know, gathering their thoughts, giving them ideas about it, you know, thesis, you know, like how, how you want to go about it, different things of, you know, this is how I did my book and, you know, keeping them encouraged and how much did you get written down or how much did you do and just different things like that. And I thought that was really awesome because you we get so far away from the regular basic things that we are typically used to like the write and the read and the things that we know that is you know essential for kids but it's so not important because you can type on a computer you can type text so you really don't have to spell because you got auto spell and you got you know all these things that keep you from knowing you know you don't have to write a real signature because you know you don't have to sign a check no more and you know just things that we you don't have to look at a dictionary because you can ask google what this means so it's like dictionary freedom so some of the things that are back you know old school or give some of that old school vibes i'm like just always for so um once he was explaining to me that they help the you know the youth and they have like a process of where they go in the beginning and you know they link them with us so say for an example i'm doing an autobiography and so that would be more of the realm of kids that i would, would be connecting with a kid that might want to tell their story about whatever it could be like hey let me talk about summer camp and what happened to me that week i was going to summer camp of course you know how can you transform that into a book and they got editors and publishers. And so they have the funding to be able to make them have an actual book. And so for them to feel like, hey, when I was 11, when I was 12, I published this book, I physically got a copy or you can get this copy of that. And I thought that was really, really good. Cause I'm like, oh my God, it, I think it would encourage people to want to, young people to want to read. It would encourage young people to want to write, you know what I'm saying? To express themselves in a different way. And I think that would be something that they would be proud of. I mean, I know if I was 13 or 14 years old and say, hey, I got a book, I wrote a book, you know, it's like a big deal, yeah. whether people was reading or not. Like it's something that you wouldn't be able to say your name is on a cover of. So I think that was really good in allowing them to feel empowered. Yeah. Um, and like I said, with their expression, so whether it was nonfiction or fiction, them expressing themselves and being able to have that connection with someone that had that experience already to say hey I've had some of those same emotions I've been stuck in that same you know these are some of the things I allow myself to be able to think about that helped me get through that so yeah um, that's how it came about and so it's, it's freshly new to me but it has been really good experience I like that I've met people from you know different places in the in, in the U.S. that is a part of this board as well that all have the same vision and have the same passion as far as helping the youth and giving them a different outlet as far as expressing themselves. And I think that's important as you, you know, as you're saying, um, it's important for them to have that outlet to express, express themselves because when they can't express it and those feelings just sit bottled up, then usually it comes out in a negative way. So giving them a positive avenue of saying, you know, expressing whatever they're feeling, like you said, whether it's an autobiography, whether it's fiction, whether it's about sports, whatever it is, if it allows them that form of therapeutic release, then I think that's a wonderful thing. So I commend you for that as well, because that is a major thing. And I'm sure that the children of Chicago are like, Yay, you know what I'm saying? So that is a beautiful thing also. Um, I know um, we talked about the different behavior changes 
where you were saying, you know, it's a conscious choice to, to say, I'm going to change that behavior today. And it is like anything else. Like, you know, if the behavior might be exercising, like for me, I have to consciously say, no, you're going to do this hour. You know what I'm saying? Like, regardless to whatever that's in that head for me to get up and do that hour of cardio every single day. And it's a behavior change that you really have to as you said, take it one day at a time, one step at a time to make sure that you're doing it and you're staying in a positive or the correct mind frame for your life and what you you want it to be. And it's not always easy for everybody. So give me um, an encouraging thing that you may say to somebody who's struggling with that, that behavior change on that daily basis what is that that one thing that that one saying or thing that you go to that will help inspire i think that accountability is a big thing um i say that because a lot of times uh people have a hard time with accepting what is real and what is not mm. and so like when you you know when you effed up you effed up you know, when you, that's just like you could be on a diet and you was doing good and you had a cheat day, but then you added another cheat day to that. You added another cheat day to it. It right. ain't no, oh, I've been working hard. No, you added another cheat day to it. Just accept it for what it is. You eating bad today. I think that people put an expectation and then when they. Oh, you're muted. Expectation. I'm sorry. Sometimes the expectation is not realistic. And so they're disappointed. And so it's easy to be like, hey, I'm done with it because you didn't put yourself in an expectation that's not even realistic. And I think it's important to take accountability for saying, hey, you know what? I had a rough day today, but tomorrow I'm gonna have a better day. I'm gonna take the time out to have a better day. So I think a lot of times people have a hard time with taking accountability. And I think those ugly truths and those things that we don't wanna talk about as far as with making a change is really what's people hardest thing with being inspired it's not that you don't know that these things are wrong it's just making the step and making the changes to change that wrong yeah so because you're just like you know if you drinking pop every day you know that drinking pop every day is not good for you at some point no matter what age in your life you know it's just certain things that we know like it's nobody have to tell you smoking cigarettes at some point smoking cigarettes is not a healthy thing for you so it's like these are things that you have to take accountability for whether you want to take accountability for it now. And that's why I think accountability is so big because so many people don't take it. Right. right. So they make excuses for why they're not making the accountability, but they want to see the change. That makes no sense. You can't right. make the change if you ain't made the necessary accountability for right. the change that you want to see. It's funny. My son's father and I um, kind of semi had a conversation about this. Um, a couple of weeks ago about accountability and his thing to me was well he grown now and I said well what does that have to do with anything you're still always need structure right I'm like okay so what he's grown but he's still you could connect with somebody in the store that'll give you a two-minute set you know lesson that you might have needed to hear for that whole week and so you never too old to learn and you never too old to get any guidance from anybody right. i think that's a cop out to not be held responsible for the mess ups that was going on with your kid now at the end of that the day you're you gonna have to still take some type of control yeah. that's just like i have a 
my daughter will be 19 and this is what I told her. Look, I've been allowing you to make your own decisions for the last two years. And it seems like this, this these decisions that you made, you have not been able to produce any type of production as far as it's been productive for you in your life at all. So now I feel like as your mother, it's time for me to come back and take control because I've allowed you, quote unquote, to be the adult, to make the quote unquote, the, the decisions that you feel like you need to make. So now, since I see that, Clearly, it's been a couple years now that you wanted to be in 19 years old that your decision making might not be as proactive as it needs to be. So let me put my two cents in. And I feel like sometimes as a parent, you have to take that kind of control. They need that somebody. They might not like it now, but they need to have somebody to be putting their foot on top of their neck because they need it. I need some structure. I need some guidance. It's grown people way past you know, parties, and we still, you're going to always need some structure and guidance. And if you got your parents, that's what you need. If you had your mother right now, you could call your mother right now for some structures and some guidance. That's what you're going to do. And that's what parents are for. That's a never ending job. That's a forever you committed to life that. Girl, yes. I need for you to call him and tell him that. Because his thing was, well, why are you still trying to hold me accountable? for it when he's grown now and I said because we made the decision together then I didn't trick you I didn't hide it we had a conversation we talked about it we agreed upon it so we both agreed to this responsibility the thing is is that I'm the only one that carried the responsibility you walked away from it and I don't feel like you should not I don't feel like I should let you off the hook I don't feel like you should not be still held accountable for the choice that you made and he just feels like oh he grown I shouldn't have to be responsible for this now and I said well I'm so sorry you feel that way but I'm going to hold you accountable until the day we both go so it's just what it is deal with your life basically age allows you to be able to say hey you at this age now so to me it's just the cop out but as a parent overall you still never out of it if your kid was yeah. on the being homeless technically as a parent it, you as a parent that's your responsibility to be able to try to step in i do understand that some parents do be burned out because at some point kids will take you to a level where look it's i didn't did all that i could do for you that's what anything that's just like we were just talking about the caseworker thing at some point sometimes your kids you could try to help you could try to change lives and that's just what it is and but you have to know hey i didn't show you this that and another Maybe it is time for me to let you go out there. But in, until I feel like I'm at that capacity, I'm going to give you all the tools and resources and everything that I can give you. So you could not never say that I didn't give you that. And see, and that's my thing. Like it, And like I expressed to him, if you would have been present, if you would have made efforts, if you would have been a, a parental figure throughout these years, maybe I would consider letting this go. But the fact that you have not been there, I like no, you have a responsibility. And, and, and so, like, and what I would only you are, you to are you. Know, accountable and responsible because, regardless, at the end of the day, that's still your child. You're his father. He's your only child. You're his only dad. There has to be something to come together in that. And I've done all I could do to force your relationship. I can't continue to force it. And if you're not willing to stand up and take responsibility and be accountable to him as a parent, it's nothing I could do on my end but hold you accountable from the way I see fit. And if that means child support has to stay in place 
child support will stay in place. Don't be upset with me because he's 26 and you still owe child support. That just goes to show that you ain't never been doing what you're supposed to do because you would be done with child support if you would have been doing what you were supposed to do. So I'm going to hold you to the fire of that responsibility because I covered his college tuition, not you. And I don't ask you for any money. I don't require anything from you, but to hold up to what the court said you should be doing. You know what I'm saying? And that's what it is. So now he's mad. He's not talking to me. I think he blocked me on social media. (laughs) I think it's funny though, but it is what it is. Like live up to it. You wouldn't be $40,000, $50,000 in the hold of child support if you had been paying child support. So it's not about what I'm doing to you. You That's a great, that's a large amount of money to be on. You know what I'm saying? So I think that speaks volumes. So my thing to him is don't take your anger out on me. Look at the man in the mirror, deal with yourself, own up to your responsibility. And it is what it is. Like, I'm not bitter. I don't hate you. I love my baby daddy. Every time I go to Atlanta, I call him. Let's go out to dinner. Let's go have a drink. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm all, I always reach out or whatever. But at the end of the day, just because I have love for you and I want the best for you, don't mean that I should let you off the hook. It doesn't right. mean that your responsibility goes away. Your responsibility is what it is. Because when he needs something, even at 26, I'm the one he calls and I'm the one that shells it out. I'm the one that makes sure he's okay. He can't ever call you for assistance because you never have it. So I, if I have to wear the burden of the responsibility, mm-hmm. then I'm going to hold this court case in place until you could realize as a man, as an adult now that, hey, I have a kid in this world that I've never supported. Let me do right by him now. If, you know, at this point, I need to start doing right. And that's just what it is. So I do agree that accountability is very, very, very important. And something else you said, realistic expectations. And so as a behavioral therapist, we work, I work mainly with children with autism. And one of the things that we do is make sure that we're setting realistic goals, Mm -hmm. goals that they can actually meet. Like if the child has trouble um, speaking, say they're nonverbal, so they're they're not really talking, I'm not going to put a goal that says in three months they're going to be reading a paragraph. Well, that's not a realistic goal. You know what I'm saying? So, like you said, making sure that the goals and the things that we set for ourselves are realistic and that they are achievable and we can't actually meet those goals. Because when you see within yourself that I could, so like even for me, when I started my my exercise and my health journey, I didn't go out here and say, okay, I'm going to run three miles a day. That's unrealistic. I know dang on well, I ain't running three miles. You know what I'm saying? But I could set a realistic goal and say, okay, I'm going to work on 30 minutes of cardio per day. And I'm going to put that 30 minutes into two 15-minute sessions. And then from there, once I was able to meet that, then I can increase that goal in increments and so forth and so on until now I'm at a full hour in one setting. And then... And now I can walk two and a half miles also a day. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm still not running it yet, but my goals are realistic for what I can do. So I think that is very, very, very great uh, advice to give to people.
<laughs> Thank you. So do you have any events or anything coming up, anything that we could support or look forward to, or how can we reach out and show support, whether it's through donations or whatever? How do we do that with you? So right now we're doing the one item challenge. We do this every year. Like I said, we collect toiletry items. Um, we're always able to connect through, of course, any social media DMs. Um, you can cash app. We have cash app, um, the Live Outreach, PayPal. Um, you can always email us as well at the Live Outreach at Gmail. Um, my name is Malika Williams. Um, <clears throat> our website is uh, www.theliveoutreach.org. So, you know, it, it will provide more information. Uh, we're doing some updates to our website where we'll be able to eventually soon be able to take any kind of donations if someone wanted to, you know, give us a donation or something online. So we're working towards that now. Um, but every year we do have a skating party. And so we're changing that to the summer because we normally would do it like March or April, but we think we will get a better turnout physically if we did it while the kids were out of school. So depending on what the board votes on next month, um, hopefully we'll be having a, a, a date, a confirmed date for um, rather July or August for our annual skating party. So those are the two events right now that we have coming up. We're, like I said, the mentoring program, the DIVA program that we have every year, we're trying to get together with an organization, preferably a school that will have the space for us to be able to, um, and also it will be a good or, uh, relationship because we will be able to retain students from the school and, and it'll already be in their, you know, comfort zone or where they already be familiar with. So we're trying to do that. But the DIVA program normally runs from like the end of June to like the beginning of August, like an eight week type of program. Okay. Um, and so within those eight weeks, we do, you know, yoga, arts and crafts. We do financial literacy. Uh, we do vision boards. Uh, we have etiquette class where someone comes and tell us, you know, teaches about the different, um, of course, spoons and forks, different things. I definitely needed that class. There was a lot of stuff I ain't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just things like that, just kind of giving them a little bit of exposure. And um, and actually, my foster mother, uh, Veronica, she is into arts and arts, like, you know, doing her own paintings and things like that. And so that was one of the things we definitely wanted to push for because we want to do um, in the near future, kind of like maybe like an art exhibit where we auction off some of her paintings and, you know, so much go to the proceeds and things like that. So that'd be definitely 2023 in the making. But uh, just kind of our goal right now is just doing a lot of connecting and getting out there in the community like we always do and just kind of like just pushing forward and hopefully, you know, we get those right connections and we get in the right area. And so we constantly just keep growing and getting stronger. So it's a process, but, you know, it's a journey too. So I'm excited for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for you and I can't wait to see what's coming up. So let me just make sure I have the cash app is the, is it the, the Live Outreach. Yeah, so okay. T-H-E-L-I-V-E-O-U-T-R-E-A-C-H. Okay, and then we have the website at theliveoutreach.com. Dot org. Dot org. org. Okay, dot org. 
And um, I also have your the email at theliveoutreach at gmail.com. Yes. And if anyone is interested in purchasing the book, which is I'm Just Trying to Live, it will be on Amazon. Um, it will be titled under Malika Adrema, which is my middle name, Adrema is my middle name. So it wouldn't be Malika Williams, it'll be Malika Adrema, and you can get that on Amazon. Okay, and as far as social media go, the Live Outreach, uh, Facebook, are you and, and IG? Yes, ma'am. Okay, great. So we're going to have all of this information in the description box for you. So if anybody, if we were talking too fast, you didn't write it all down, maybe you spelled something wrong, I'm going to have everything in the description box for you, social media, email, cash app, everything. So if you want to contribute and you know, what's $10 for a kid, you know what I'm saying? Um, what's some toilet paper or some, some maxi pads or something like that for a child in need? You know, it's really not a lot. So if you can just find it in your heart to just donate to this cause, I think it's a beautiful cause. And like I said, working in the, so the um, foster care system, I know for a fact that when these children age out, there are some programs, but there's so many different criteria that they may have to meet to receive certain resources. And it can put a damper on their spirit. It can really make them feel like, oh, why am I going through all of this? Or why am I trying? Um, so let's be that, that light of encouragement for these young ladies, for these children, period. And let them know like, hey, just because you're, you're here doesn't mean that this is where it has to end and that you have a community of support supportive people out here who are rooting for you, who believe in you, and who want to see you accomplish whatever it is you set your mind out to accomplish. We are here to root for them and to cheer them on. And again, Malika, thank you so much for coming on. I really, really, really appreciate what you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. I, I really do. And, you know, like I said, I'm here to support you. I'm here to help any way that I can. Um, you will be seeing a cash app from me soon and, um, you, and anything that you're doing, you know, I got some skates, girl, I'll come to the skate party. (laughs) So yeah, I will definitely come and roll around the ring and try not to fall a couple of times and support, um, anything that you're doing, you know, if you need me for anything at all, just know I'm just a phone call or a text message away from showing up and showing my support for you. Do you want to leave us? I want to extend that as well to you as well. Um, And I appreciate the opportunity of being able to speak about live and the different things that I've had the enjoyment of involvement to be involved in. So thank you so much for that. And I just hope everybody stay encouraged and, um, you know, like what Tupac say, behind every dark night, it's a bright day. Amen. (laughs) Amen. So to everybody again, thank you so much for tuning in to this segment of Faithfully Her. And as always, when you're writing the story of your life, don't let anyone else hold the pen. God bless and have a great, great week in Christ. Thank you all. Okay.